0: Hey guys, back for episode 35, I know I didn't say 34 on the last one, so if you're keeping track or care, now you know, you're back You're back up to speed. Um, quick disclaimer, this is with my friend, we'll call her Jay, she wanted her name taken out, um, this episode was done weeks in advance, but she's got a hold of me, and she wanted it taken out, and this is the day before the actual episode comes out, so I had to pull it, or instead of having to pull it, I had to cut some of it out, so you're going to miss a couple, I don't know, 20 seconds or whatever, Uh, well, I actually take out the very beginning when I kind of go into some stuff, but, uh, so you miss like the first two minutes, but this is going to kind of take up that, and then Um, so the only thing you're going to miss is when she says her name and where she's from, which where she's from isn't that big of a deal. It's just the name. Uh, and it was very hard to get her last name out without taking out the first name. So I just took the whole thing out. Uh, but we'll call her Jay. Uh, it's not her name, but we'll call her Jay. And, uh, yeah, this is about homelessness and, uh, it's, it's a very, it's a topic that I've, I've kind of really kind of wanting to, really expound more on and just get deep into this community and and learn more about it because it's a lot like the disabled community and we need to give it some more attention and we really need to take care of these people. Um, uh, The disabled community isn't the only ones that are being kicked around. And uh, yeah, and and this, this pandemic is not making it any better. It's getting worse and worse by, you know, by the day, I suppose. Um, But yeah, please support Jay and uh, yeah, guys. Um, here we go. Oh, oh. Um, it may sound weird, like I said, because I cut that part out, so it just jumps right into her talking about her eye condition. But it, which is fine; like it, it is what it is. Um, so yeah, you are only missing the very beginning of our dialogue, but it's not a big deal. Um, once once we kind of get past that awkwardness, then we go right into the meat and potatoes. Uh, so yeah, guys, take
1: care, baby.
0: Actual eye condition. I'm
1: uh, currently functionally totally blind due to secondary glaucoma after a chemical burn um, to the eyes. Wow. Um, yeah.
0: How, how did that happen?
1: Um, I was helping a friend, and uh, drain cleaner got splashed in my face. Wow. So, yeah. Um, just it just came up. So, um,
0: how long ago was
1: that? That was 2007, I believe. How old were you then? Uh, God, that was
0: 14 years.
1: Like 20, yeah, that was like, I was like 22 or so.
0: Um, did it like, did it gradually go or, or was it? Instant?
1: Yeah, it was gradual. Um, it started just immediately, it was a big difference. And then, um, because of the glaucoma, it just, gradually went away and the cataract developed and, um, I lost my left eye to a corneal meltdown in about 2010.
0: Oh, wow. So three years you were dealing with that.
1: Um,
0: hmm. so did you, did you have, you didn't have any eye problems before that?
1: Um, I had some, I was wearing glasses and in my vision was correctable to about, uh, about, I think it was a, a 2040 at that time. Uh, so I had some visual impairment, but not enough to be considered legally blind because mm-hmm. um, it was correctable. But I also wasn't wearing my glasses much. I hated my stupid glasses, and I couldn't wear contacts because of allergies. Right, right.
0: Yeah, some people don't realize how allergies, or allergies, uh, contacts can definitely be a problem uh some people yeah. can't wear them whether it's sensitivity or allergies or god knows what else
1: right um
0: what uh bef- before like how did you adapt because i mean how well first how did you take the news when you found out basically you were going to lose your sight
1: well right away i knew it was going to be go- going pretty quickly cuz i was in the hospital for a week after the accident and just kind of like, you know, I knew it was, it was gone. As soon as I woke up the next morning, it was like, everything was completely bur- blurred. So it was a pretty significant visual impairment from the beginning. And then over time, it just got worse. And I was like, yeah, this is not going to stay. Uh, and then the, doc- the um, ophthalmologist diagnosed me with secondary glaucoma and said that it was just going to, it was going to get worse. And the cataracts were just getting worse.
0: Uh, but I mean, like how, mentally, how did you, how did you take that? Because that's something um, very hard to
1: deal, especially in twenties. Mu- right, couple of months. Uh, for a couple of months afterwards, I was pretty depressed, but it, I, I snapped back pretty well. Um, everybody said I did pretty well. Um, I did a lot of therapy over the years, and that helped a lot. Well, that's um, and then you know because of my ptsd from childhood abuse and um you know i already had chronic major depression so you know it wasn't easy but i mean what are you gonna do just stop living
0: right yeah well i mean unfortunately that is someone's reality a bunch of people
1: right some people yeah they just stop living but I wasn't about to do that. I was like, I keep too busy. I just started working towards getting to where I could adapt really well. I started O&M training almost immediately. I taught myself most of the braille on my own before I even went to the rehab center. And just was like, I was like, I'm not going to stop living just because I lost my sight. Did you feel
0: like you took your eyes for granted beforehand? Or after in hindsight uh, now?
1: I didn't. I'm sorry. What? Like in, in
0: hindsight now, do you think you took your eyes for granted before you lost them?
1: Definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When, you know, when you have sight, you definitely take it for granted. And it's like, it's, a, it's a, the, ma- the most significant sense that you have. Right. And once you lose that, you know, you realize your other senses just have to kick in a little harder.
0: Right. Um, and again, this is something I, I I don't know. I I said a while back and people liked it or whatever, but I've said like the people who see the most, see the least and the people who see the least, see the most. Um, and I say that because with, with having a disability, um, and and my disability is poor eyesight. I see a lot more than what most people want to see. Um, I mean, I'm way more open to how people treat other people, especially people with disabilities or just how they Mm -hmm. interact with me. Um, Whereas I think a lot of people just on the surface just take whatever is for face value and just go, okay, that's, that's that. But in general, like when you have a disability, like it's not just that your hearing gets better or your taste or whatever, that's sixth sense in general. Like you you seem to just kind of, really understand things better. You're open, more open-minded, I should say.
1: Right, it it takes a a traumatic event to open your eyes and you know, it's before I lost my sight, I didn't re- even realize there was like a major disability community, but becoming blind it just it opened my eyes to everything and then my husband uh lost half his leg to um gangrene basically. Um he had uh sepsis in his blood and gangrene and um you know that just opened my eyes even further to wheelchair access right. Um and he was also legally blind on top of that. So
0: did you know him prior to losing your sight?
1: No. We met at the rehab center for the blind in North Carolina.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, um yeah, it's did. Did you feel like? I mean, you said you've you know reached out and you met a lot of people in the different in the disabled community. Did you feel you they were more welcomed in that community? Um,
1: I wouldn't say it was more. Well, I wouldn't say it was more welcoming. It was just a different way of looking at things, and people just were open to assessing somebody as soon you know once you lose your disability become disabled people look at you different and so the commu- the disabled community were like well we don't care if you're disabled right. so it was like before i was disabled people looked at me just fine but then as soon as i had a disability everybody was like well what's up with that right. we're not gonna you know we're fair fair, fair weather friends
0: did it inspire you being around others like you to yeah yeah you know, to push further yeah. and and try right. to figure out what your limitations actually were and not what people tell you they are
1: right oh uh, especially people who have been blind since birth um you know a lot of people who are blind since birth it's like they get along just fine so why can't i
0: right yeah you don't really have- you don't really notice it until you're right I mean, you notice it, but when you're around others like it, you definitely stop feeling sorry for yourself, and you actually kind of adapt and realize, like, oh, like there is something amazing about this. It's not just whatever one makes it. It, you know, you know, obviously the obvious is bad. You know, you can't see, but there is more to it than just you know, your life's over and your eyes are they're black now.
1: Right, um, and like as soon as I. Moved to Raleigh after I lost my sight. Um, I joined the NFB right. and you know, the National Federation of the Blind. And I started going to meetings, and everybody was very supportive there. And you know, it was just like there were several totally blind individuals there. And I was looking at, like, well, why can't I do things if they do things just fine? You know, look, look at them going through life working just fine. Right. So, no. yeah, no, it's a good way to
0: think. But yeah, I mean, I think when I started going to work and working around people who are completely blind, it made me appreciate the small amount of vision I have left. I'm like, oh, like this is, it's just because it's not great for me. Uh, I mean, it's never going to be good, but it's still something. Like you have something. That person over there really can't see, but they're they're managing. So figure out mm-hmm. what you got and then use it to the best of your ability. Exactly. Um, now, how did you perceive, whether it's before or after your whole life until you became homeless, how did you perceive homeless people hmm. before it became um, your reality?
1: Well, yeah, when I left my husband, my first husband for the second time, I became homeless that time. So, um, mm-hmm. and I was, I grew up in poverty. Okay. Uh, so, I, homelessness was around me from the time I was a little bitty and while I did look at them like that's kinda weird, why aren't you in a home, I never felt like a lot of people feel like they're dirty, they're drug addicted, they're you know, they're they why can't they just get you know, stop being lazy. A lot of people feel that way. And I grew up seeing people you know, living in the woods, living in abandoned homes, you know, just down the street there was an abandoned trailer from me in Texas and there was somebody living in that abandoned trailer. It wasn't a good situation and we tried to help them as much as we could. But I grew up around that and it was just like it's not a pretty situation, but it Life sometimes,
0: right, so do you think having a disability I, did make you understand it more, but, you know later in life to to be more accepting, i guess and, and not just judge them because whatever they dress a certain way or they smell or, or whatever,
1: yeah, I think so. I mean it it reminded me, hey, you know in a heartbeat, your life contained, and um, you know, like we were walking down the street one time in Raleigh and um there was a homeless guy sleeping on a bench, and everybody was complaining and i was like where is he supposed to go you now because there's a lot of disabled people on the street because they can't get shelter and um you know we can talk about that a little bit but um it's A lot of people just don't even realize they don't have anywhere to go. And it's not because they're lazy. It's not because they can't work. A lot of people on the streets are working. Um, There's people who are working two or three jobs and still can't afford housing.
0: Especially in these major cities like California, why it's so bad there. like California, especially Uh, L.A. L.A. is horrible. Yeah,
1: L.A. is horrible. New York, these major cities. New York is actually even worse than L.A.
0: You mean homelessness or the just the affordability? The homelessness
1: and the housing situation there is just overall really bad. Um, they have about, I think last time I looked at the statistics, they have about 46,000 people there that are homeless, uh, living in, either on the street, unsheltered, or living out of a homeless shelter.
0: Um,
1: That's a lot of people.
0: Yeah.
1: That's, that's
0: more than, I I live in a town that has about 30,000. That's more, Mm -hmm. that's more, it's, you know, almost 20,000 more than what's in the town I live in currently. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about 50,000, almost 50,000 people. And this is just one city. (coughs) And I don't, is that, now, is that just the city of New York or is that the entire state?
1: just that's just new york city
0: that's what i figured right so that's manhattan and the boroughs and and so yeah that's right it's not long island that's not upstate yeah that's
1: right that's yeah there's i mean i saw a video the other day um there's a group called invisible people um that does youtube videos interviewing people and i saw a video the other day of upstate new york people living in the woods and they were talking about Giving the people in the woods rat traps and bug poison because that's what they deal with. And then there's the floods in the spring, and there's you know in the summer there's the mosquitoes and
0: yeah, God. Right. yeah they're treated like pests. And that
1: was yeah, that was upstate New York. Um, it's not a pretty place to be homeless.
0: No, I, mean, I don't know where there really is, but there's some places better than others
1: right if i if I were to be homeless, I think I'd want to be homeless in the woods outside of a small town in the west, like not California obviously, but like uh, the southwest you know where it's not gonna get cold, <coughs> but at the same time in the summer you you've got the so you know the soaring temperatures in the summer so there really isn't a pretty place to be on the street right
0: um yeah one of the things you were talking about is just about how people perceive them and one of the biggest stigmas that's put on them is obviously just addiction um i mean sometimes a lot of times it happens from divorce they get kicked out and they just have nowhere to go but a lot of times people just automatically assume that it, they have some alcoholic problem uh which you know, I think in a lot of cases, I mean, you would know better than I, but I think a lot of it actually comes after they're homeless. Um, and again, of course, there are people who actually have drug problems and alcohol problems, and that causes them to be homeless, but that's not always the case.
1: Right. A lot of people who have drug and alcohol issues actually got that way after they were homeless as a coping mechanism. Right, right.
0: Um, so before we kind of delve deep into just the topic itself but your first time being homeless like you know walk us through that like what was that like
1: so that was 2008 i believe it was um i was recently blind and my first husband was becoming very abusive um and i just left him and went to raleigh uh I was living further south in North Carolina and I was like, Well, if I'm gonna be homeless it's gonna to have to be in the city where there's actual resources. So I went to the city and ended up sleeping on a dirty mattress behind a shelter because they kept telling me, stick around, we might have a bed for you And then they just never did. I thought after a week there I finally just moved on and um got into a different shelter um, about a week later. Um they didn't like me being there. They said that because of my blindness they couldn't take care of me and so I moved on to uh couch surfing. Mm. Which you know, that's just hopping from one apartment to the next, uh one house to the next, staying with friends, sleeping on their sofa.
0: Right. Um and um yeah, and you don't have to really get too much into it, but you talked about you know, abuse and stuff with your family, like mm-hmm. um is that
1: play a part of why you didn't really have anywhere to go? Right. My mother, um, who lived not that far from me at the time, said, no, you can't live with me. And if, even if I had lived with her, um, I know that she would have just gone in bad again. Um, she's got major anger issues, and she's had an alcohol issue in the past. Um, so... Living with her was not an option. The rest of my family is in Louisiana because of Cajun, and living with them was not an option because they live in poverty. Um, They can barely feed themselves, let alone another person.
0: So essentially, you would have been a burden to other people.
1: Right. And I wasn't about to do that. Right. Um,
0: Okay. So, so yeah. I mean, so you had nowhere to go. So, when you're couch surfing, what? What happens after that?
1: Um, so I was couch surfing in Virginia Beach with a couple of friends. And then I went down to back to North Carolina, lived with some friends outside of Raleigh again. Um, and then I was told there was a placement at the rehab center in Raleigh and that there were apartments not far from there. There were studio locks. And I was able to get into that with my disability. So I was able to, you know, it wasn't a good situation, but I was able to get into something. And then the rehab center was right next door. So I was walking to the rehab center from there. Um, And then I stayed there for about a year. Uh, Those 30 laws were like drug invested, bug invested, really nasty, but it was somewhere to put my head down and then a neighbor actually co-signed for me to get out of there into a, a one better apartment and that was the break that i needed
0: right. um before you go on like what is it like to now how, how long did that spurt go on for you said start 2011 how did, long did that go for
1: that went for a year
0: right so how how is how do you come out of that world like you know you said you have ptsd from a lot of with your abuse and all that but Mm -hmm. you obviously have to have some sort of ptsd from living out i mean i don't want to call it the wild like you're out there Mm -hmm. um i mean you come in and now you can take a warm shower and and you're back to civilization what is right what is mentally what are you dealing with like how how are you dealing with regular life again
1: that's really hard to say, um, it's different for everybody, but for me it was just utter relief. It was like, okay, I can actually wash myself every day. I sleep in a bed. Um the first week that I was there I was actually sleeping on two two um armchairs put together with a ottoman in the middle. So it wasn't even a bed. Um but then a caseworker came out saw that I didn't have a bed and, and got me a bed from the thrift store. So um then I was like wow i actually have somewhere to lay my head and be comfortable um it was really it was just like complete relief that i could actually even though the even though the place was bug infested it had cockroaches and spiders and flies and all sorts of things but um and there was like druggies everywhere but it was better than being on the street So for a while it was just like I could relax there. Um, And part of the way I was able to cope with it was making friends with my neighbors. Right. Uh, I had a friend there um, who I taught her braille and she would leave notes on my door just saying, Hey, you want to come over for dinner tonight? Or, Hey, can I come over for dinner tonight? And we just, We'd have salads and stuff because neither of us had a kitchen. Um, so we would make salads and cook things in the microwave and just share, and it made a big difference just to know that there was somebody else to hang out with right
0: of course um how are you <clears throat> excuse me how are you besides your friend, how are you eating and bathing during this time?
1: Well, I the the apartment I had had its own bathroom, so I was I had no problem you know, showering every day and everything. Um, and I got me a microwave. Um, after a while, at first I was eating out of cans and salads.
0: I mean, when you're I'm sorry, I meant when you were homeless.
1: Oh, when I was homeless, right, right, yeah, I mean, um, jump back. yeah, yeah. Sorry, we jumped a little bit. Yeah, it's okay. Um, okay, um, when I was homeless there was a, um, there's a center in Raleigh. Um, forget the name of it is downtown. It's a homeless center where you can go, you can get your mail, take a shower, wash your clothes, stuff like that. Uh, during the day, um, that was a godsend. Um, uh, it was just like, I'd go there every couple of days to wash my clothes, take a shower while my clothes were washing. And, you know, they could send mail to me, uh, which is a, that's a blessing in itself because a lot of times just to get an ID or something, you have to have an address to have it sent to. Right.
0: Now how much clothing and like, how many things are you like, how much stuff are you carrying with? you?
1: Well, I had a hiking backpack and then I had a little backpack on on the side um, that I used for my dirty clothes. So two bags at all times um, and a sleeping bag hanging off the hiking backpack.
0: Right.
1: So, you really can't carry more than that, um because you have to carry it around everywhere you go. um some people actually carry a tent around with them because, like in California, you have to take down your tent during the day, yeah. and so you get to carry that around all day
0: now are all shelters like the one like that one? Are there some worse and some better?
1: There are actually some worse than that of uh, there's some places shelters won't take anybody for like six months um you have to go on a long waiting list and um and then others like the one i was at there was no waiting list it was whoever gets there gets there first and then there are some that you know they'll take anybody off the street that if they have the bed you can come in and just hey we got a bed for you come on and it really depends on where in the where in the country you are uh, Raleigh does not have very many shelters most of the shelters are for women and children uh, so there's actually only two men's shelters in the whole city uh, and one of them is a is a, like a super religious one that you have to go to every mass and you have to pray at, before every meal and you know not everybody's Christian so it was it's really difficult for a lot of them and you know, you have to be off of drugs and alcohol at all times and a lot of those guys are recouping from drugs and alcohol.
0: Right, right. Um this might be a weird question, but um what what is worse to deal with being homeless? The
1: heat or the cold? The cold. Yeah. In the heat you can you can get hot, you can get water water bottles from pretty much anybody. You know, everybody will is willing to give you bottles of water. And sometimes you can even get really cold bottles of water. Um, and you can always sit in the shade. But in the cold, there's there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely nowhere to avoid the cold. Um, you can, you know, sometimes you can get a sleeping bag. Sometimes you can get blankets. But the colder it gets, the harder it gets. Um, Like right now in Chicago, I really feel for my friends on the street. Uh, I'm still friends with some people up there. And, you know, they've got propane heaters for each tent, but it's still really rough.
0: Chicago is a really cold place.
1: Yeah, Especially with the winter weather that's going through right now, they're getting... It got like a flit of snow over the weekend. Um
0: so. um, so, okay, so we'll go back to take us through you being in your new apartment to your next stint of being homeless.
1: So my friend who was a neighbor co-signed, co-signed a one-bedroom apartment for me. He didn't, you know, he didn't put down any money. I already, I had the money saved up. I just needed somebody to co-sign it because I didn't have enough income. And in Raleigh, you need two to three times, well, that's pretty much anywhere. You need two to three times the rent to be able to get into an apartment um, that's any good. So he cosigned for me. Um, and I was in the one bedroom for a while. And then I met my first, uh, my second husband, excuse me, my second husband. Uh, At the rehab center, because I was going to the rehab center every day um, during the week. And we moved in together just to keep him from uh, having to go back to the Charlotte area, which is across the state, every weekend. Um, It was a boarding rehab center during the week, but every weekend you had to go home. So uh, the train ride was really getting to him. And so he moved into the living room. He was sleeping on a futon in the living room. Uh, and then we were like, well, if we're going to make this permanent, we need to move to a two bedroom. The apartment complex we were in was nice enough to transfer us to a two bedroom pretty easily. Uh, we didn't have to put it down a new deposit or anything. Um, just gave us a you know, two bedroom. Our rent went up and that's it. So then we were in that two bedroom from then until he lost his leg and we moved to another two bedroom in the same apartment complex that they had made a um, wheelchair accessible because we had been there for so long. They were like, well, we want to keep you.
0: Quickly before. um, Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Um, Mm -hmm. what, What are you doing like financial? How are you even being able to afford any of it?
1: Um, for the longest time, it was disability, and then I was working um, as a content writer. Okay. Um, I've done that off and on for five years. Um, I'm not working as a content writer now, but I'm going to go back to school in the summer, and then I'm going back to work as a content writer. And while I'm also being an, uh you know, I've got a job as a nanny as well. So, right.
0: um, okay, so I'm sorry. So, you and your husband are trying to get a two-bedroom right. apartment. So,
1: yeah, so we got a two-bedroom, we went to the other two-bedroom, which was are accessible, because he started, ha, you know, he had issues, and when it was time for him to come home from rehab, they were like, he can't go back there, there's no access to the apartment. So, a couple of weeks that went by, he had to stay longer in, at rehab, and um, they made the new apartment, which are accessible for us, put in ramps, and, down the thermostat so he could still reach it and put in railings in the bathroom. So then about a year later, we decided we don't want to stay here any longer. The apartment complex was getting bad. These apartments were built in the 60s and 70s and maintenance was not keeping up with anything. So we moved in with this lady in a house and rented two rooms from her. So this is when, you know, we we asked her when we moved in, do you smoke? And she said no. And then we moved in, and she started smoking marijuana in the house, which is not only is illegal, I found out I'm allergic to THC. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so after living with her from January to June, I started getting really ill, and my husband was also having major migraines. Um, we're pretty sure the marijuana was laced with something else because it was giving us such bad reactions. I was in the hospital three times in two days, and we just finally said we have to get out of here.
0: Now this is just from in Let's, the air, like getting in your
1: lungs. Yeah. Okay. Secondhand smoke. Right. right. Secondhand smoke. So we were like we got to get out of here. And my husband had converted to Islam uh, the year before. And so our, his imam was able to get us into a, into a motel and we, he paid for two weeks there. At that point we were like, we don't have any money for afterwards. We got to go somewhere. And I'm not sure how it happened, but he paid to Chicago and I followed him. You know, we just, Decided on Chicago and took the train to Chicago, and we had called three one one beforehand, and they told us, "Yeah, no problem. Come up here; we'll give you shelter right away." When we got to Chicago and called three one one,
0: charity came is? out. Sorry, three one
1: three one one is like um, United Way, but it's uh, in Chicago. Three one one is the only service for everything from, um finding a shelter, to reporting potholes. Right, gotcha. It's the city services. Gotcha, gotcha. So we called 311 and asked for a shelter. They they sent Catholic Charities which in Chicago Catholic Charities is the only way to get to a shelter if you don't have transportation. They're the only people that will transport homeless people in Chicago. Hmm. Yeah. So they came out, took one look at his wheelchair and said we can't help you and left. So, at that point, we did have some fun, so we stayed at a hotel for two weeks, Um, and then after the hotel, we both got, I I had done like massive research, because as a content writer, I already knew research. I did massive research, found a shelter for me, he stayed in a hostel, and then we found a shelter. Um, The shelter he went to was Barely accessible um most of the time he's going to get into a bathroom so like he'd come pick me up from my shelter and we wander the streets until we found a bathroom for him to go into which during the pandemic is like super hard to do oh, mcdonald's so this was doesn't last have bathroom this was this last year we we were in chicago from july to december of this last year
0: right what, what is chicago's yeah. homeless population like you don't need the numbers um what are they, is it bad there too.
1: Well, let's put it this way. On the top 10 list of homeless populations, Chicago's number 10. Okay. So New York City is number one, Las Vegas number two, Chicago is number 10.
0: Right.
1: Gotcha. So it's not like super bad, but they don't count the people who live in the homeless shelters and hotels and hostels. Right. They only count the unsheltered individuals, which means if you're living on the sidewalk, if you're in a, living in a tent under a bridge, that you count as unsheltered. Right, right. So, and, you know, from year to year, you can't guarantee that you'll know how many homeless individuals there are because nobody goes around and does a census or survey. They just start counting willy-nilly and you know, if you get counted, you're counted. But if you're not visible, they're not going to count you. No. Hmm. Yeah. So people living in the woods outside of Chicago don't count because they're out of the way. Nobody sees them. Um, if you move around a lot, you probably won't count. With hmm. that's half of homeless individuals on the streets is they're constantly moving.
0: Right now, what you were kind of getting at now, and you were. You told me this the other day. Uh how are disabled homeless people treated?
1: Invisible? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that about sums it up. Um if you are disabled and on the street, nobody's gonna give you shelter, at least in Chicago that's the case. Um, you're called an insurance liability, you're told they can't keep you safe, um, that you being around is going to make other people have issues. Nobody wants to, you know, nobody wants to be around you. And uh, in Chicago alone, there's literally only two shelters in the whole city that are wheelchair accessible. So getting into one of those shelters, you know, it's ridiculous. And one of those shelters is a medical shelter, which is a wonderful thing to have because. There are so many people on the streets with medical issues. So the medical shelter, they have a doctor on staff. They have a therapist on staff. Um, so it's great, but it's a six-month waiting list.
0: I was going to say, is that got to be hard to get into? Huh?
1: Yeah, I was lucky at uh, when I had pneumonia. Um, I had pneumonia for two months on the streets um, and in a hotel. And when we were on the street, literally sleeping in a tent for two weeks, I was barely able to make it going to the emergency room every other day because I was just so sick with pneumonia. And finally, you know, I got the pneumonia diagnosis um, and Tom, who is like, he's the mayor of the tent cities in Chicago. Um, he's recognized by the news outlet as the person to talk to in Chicago about tent city. He's
0: not homeless he himself.
1: Got, he's been homeless for about five years now. Oh, yes, is. Okay. Uh, yeah. So he, he knows what it's like on the street. He has, he actually has tents in most of the tent cities that he stores things in, um, like propane heaters during the summer and blankets and, um, water bottles during the summer for, you know, keeping people hydrated so they don't like pass out from heat heat exhaustion and stuff. Um but he got with um an organization there and they sent their case worker out finally, took one look at me and said, You're getting off the street and within a week I was in that medical shelter.
0: That's because which, you looked very ill.
1: Right. I was I was extremely pale. I was throwing up every day repeatedly it took a just to get to the hospital where I was diagnosed with pneumonia on the way I threw up like four times just to get to the bus stop Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know we had to take breaks and Mike my you know my second husband actually had to stand up out of his wheelchair and let me sit for a while because I was getting so dizzy and faint so they took one look at me and said, no, you're getting off the streets. You're you're really sick. And two weeks of that shelter, I was better.
0: Now, this, this may be a really stupid question, but did you have any insurance?
1: I had Medicare, um, okay. and that was paying for the emergency room. But in order to get a doctor's appointment, I was told that I had to have an address mm-hmm. for them to send the forms to and then an address to send the bill to even though I wasn't going to be billed anything, I had to have an address to go to.
0: Right. I was, I was asking you that so, because I was wondering how if someone who's homeless, like, and, and they want to go to the emergency room right? and if they don't have any insurance.
1: Right. Luckily do do? there's, yeah, there's a law, federal law. Um, I, I believe it's a federal law, but um, every hospital has to accept people. Even if they don't have insurance, it, Emergency rooms are not allowed to turn people away; they will like give you a cursory look over and send you away after that if they don't feel like treating you, but they can't just say no, you can't even come to the emergency room even if you have no insurance at at, at all mm-hmm. um and the sicker you are obviously if you're sick enough that you can't even you can't even take care of yourself, they're gonna take you in um. But I had such bad luck. Um, the hospital near the tent city where I was living kept shooting me up with Toradol and Tramadol, which Toradol is a painkiller and Tramadol is a anti-inflammatory, and then sending me away. They said, nope, it's, it's a fibromyalgia flare-up and that you're just going to have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. They didn't even do a test x-ray or anything, even though I was coughing up like coughing like crazy and at one point they told me i was faking it because i couldn't even sit up on my own they said i was faking and to stop stop acting weird Um, i called when that happened i called my husband he said you're slurring and came immediately and told them off and they finally took me seriously enough to give me an appointment with the with a doctor upstairs but then they said no you have to go back to the emergency room we can't treat you yeah. um, it was just like juggling appointments and emergency room visits just to get treated
0: It's sometimes. I mean, the medical world can. I mean, they mess with everyone, but you can imagine it's got to be a thousand times harder when you're
1: almost right. And you know, it took a lot to get to another hospital. Um. So you know, for a while there, that was really the only hospital we could get to because it was literally just a block away. Um and but they weren't treating me properly and my husband had migraines and he was getting sick. Um and they wouldn't treat him. You know, they were like, you're not sick enough, so just deal with it. Um
0: uh, now you told me this the other day, now what what ended up happening to your husband?
1: So the the shelter that he was in was a temporary shelter for the pandemic and then they moved him to an to the permanent shelter but the permanent shelter wasn't disability friendly they had a refrigerator on site and my husband was diabetic and they refrigerated his insulin because the refrigerator was on the women's side he wasn't allowed on the women's side and no staff member wanted to take his insulin to him like I think he's supposed to take it, he was supposed to take it like four or five times a day. Uh, insulin dependent diabetic. So they wouldn't refrigerate his insulin. So he died, he passed away from diabetic complications. He, you know, the, the police took a look at the video and saw that he just went to sleep and fell into a coma and that he never woke up. Wow. And that was in. November, early November. Oh, so, yeah. a a you know, bit. yeah. Um, I mean, two. what is it? 3 months now. Almost 3 months later it you know, it's rough. Um and I didn't even find out for a week after he died because they couldn't find me because I had moved around so much. Um, at the time I was living in a boarding house and the police were like searching everywhere for me. Luckily I had an emergency contact from the, my last hospital visit and they called her and she called you know, she emailed me um because my phone number had changed recently. My phone had been fricked. Um and then, you know, um password problems. Um, I had changed the password and then couldn't remember the password to get back in. And my husband had tried to get in so many times, it just bricked the phone. Mm -hmm. So I had to go buy a new phone. um, And I moved right as I was buying a new phone. And I'm just glad that my friend had my new email address because my email address had locked me out too. My old email address. Luckily, she still had it. Otherwise, I would have never found out that he had died.
0: Now, is it it impossible for you guys to get a shelter together? Like, in the same, I'm sorry, get in the same shelter?
1: Yeah. Um, Even though they had, you know, they had shelters where there was a women's side and a men's side, shelters have policies that married couples aren't allowed in the same shelter, which is why he didn't get into the medical shelter, because, I was already there, even though with his medical issues, he really should have been in that shelter um, because he had diabetes, migraines, um, kidney stones. Um, He was having breathing issues, which turned out later to be COVID-19 because he had it in his system when he died. And, you know, he was in a wheelchair as well uh, with, with a prosthetic leg so he really should have been in that shelter but and i felt really bad about being in that shelter and not not him but what are you going to do i was i was put in there and he wasn't and then i offered to leave the shelter to go to another place and then i left because i was assaulted and they wouldn't let him in even then
0: were you assaulted by another homeless person?
1: By another individual at the shelter, yes. Right. Um, because I couldn't see them, they thought they could they could assault me. And then, um, you know, basically what happened was I was put in a room with two other women, uh, which normally would be a, a room of six individuals. Uh, which is normal for shelter. Um, Actually, usually it's like a bunker style where it's everybody in the same room. But this shelter was up to six individuals. But because of the pandemic, there was only three allowed for distancing. Right, right. But I went to go to the bathroom and one of the other women was already in there. I didn't know that. I knocked just to make sure. She came to the door, yelled at me for even coming near her, shoved me so hard that I had bruises on my chest in the shape of fingers for the next two weeks, and then grabbed me by the collar and started shaking me. I took my cane, sm- slammed that cane into her side to get her to let me go, ran out of the room, and they accused me of assaulting her because there was it was two against one. And they said, I started it. Because I hit her with my cane. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Um, And then the shelter would do nothing, even though I had a police report. They would do nothing about it. There was another room that had only two individuals. They could have moved me to it, and they said, no, Mm -hmm. deal with it. I started sleeping on the couch out in the lounge area just to stay away from them. And they told me after a couple of days that, that I had to be in the room with the other women. After 10 p.m., every time I went into the room, they started yelling at me. I couldn't get any sleep. I was getting sick again because I couldn't sleep. And, you know, they'd watch TV until 2 a.m., turn off the TV finally at 2 a.m., even though the shelter said you have to turn the TV off at 10 p.m., and then at 6 a.m., they'd start turning on the lights, even though the policy was you can't turn on the lights before 8 a.m. So they, these two women, last time I heard, are still there and they get away with everything. At one point, we had a meeting with the director of the shelter and they were all sweet and innocent and said that I was doing everything and they were doing nothing wrong. And then I came back from the hospital after a fibromyalgia attack um, and that when I came in at two in the morning, a staff member walked me up to my room and their TV was on and they still did nothing. So I decided I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not going to put up with being yelled at every minute that I'm in the room and I left the shelter. Couldn't come back because they had a hundred day, hundred eighty day policy where you can't come back for one hundred eighty days, no matter what, if you leave on your own. Mm. Um, so at that point, I went to a hostel and then I went to the boarding house. When the hostel kicked me out for complaining about them breaking their own policies, right.
0: um, before you go on from there, uh, what mm-hmm. what is I uh, put it, like, what is the crime and, and the, the violence like in, in the homeless community?
1: Um, in Chicago, the homeless population is actually very supportive of each other, which isn't the case in most cities. Like here in Vegas, the homeless-on-homeless homeless violence is really bad. Um, people are getting stabbed and shot and assaulted all the time but in Chicago I'm not sure what is going on with that but the violence between homeless people is not that bad it's the sheltered versus the unsheltered population so if you're in a shelter and somebody's not in a shelter you're more like the unsheltered individual is very likely to be a victim of violence just because they are on the street, right. or like people with housing versus homeless. So when I was on the street, on in the tenth city, there was actually a serial killer going around stabbing homeless men in the throat. Mm. And we'd go to bed thinking, what if it's my you know I I'd be thinking what if it's my husband that, um. During that time period, there was another individual in the tent city who was shot by a random stranger just walking past.
0: Is so, there,
1: what, what is, I mean, do people get convicted of
0: these crimes? Because I could imagine that homeless people are kind of just considered, like you said before, some people consider them like pests. So, do right. people call the police?
1: Do police take care of these issues? Sometimes Um, it really depends on the community. Our tent city was actually the best in the, in the city. Uh, So Tom has what he calls ogres. They're the, the homeless police for our, our community. And they would report any major incidents to the police. But the problem with that is the police everywhere harass people anytime there's any violence. The actual police, right?
0: Right.
1: Right. So the police come to, like, when they came to take, you know, take our statements about the person who was shot, they wrote off our community and we had to, like, you know, it, it took a lot of bribery just to get back into our community. They wanted to kick us out From under the bridge that we were staying in and that community has been there for years Mm. Um, the city has actually provided wash stations and porta potties to that community because they've been there so long and the police just wanted to kick everybody out they have nowhere to go Um, so a lot of the a lot of the violence and drug problems and alcohol problems don't get reported because you bring the police in, they're just gonna harass everybody. Doesn't matter who you are. If you're in that tent city or on the street or whatever, you're gonna get harassed. Um,
0: um, we, go um, ahead. No, go ahead, sweetie. Go ahead.
1: We were lucky enough that our tent city didn't get harassed a lot, but there was another tent city when I was already off the street. I heard about it. Um, from Tom, they were the the um the victims of arson. So Two people literally came into the tent city, set a bun- bunch of tents on fire, and ran. They had evidence from cameras, you know, security cameras nearby. Police took a look at it and said the fire wouldn't have been so bad if you didn't have those propane heaters. Mm-hmm. And dropped it the kid dropped the case. but like the the guy that was going around stabbing people in their throat, he was caught almost immediately. And, you know, you can't kill people without getting in trouble, but you can cause violence and arson and and get away with it to find. Right.
0: It's almost like you can burn all their things because they don't really have anything anyway, so who cares?
1: Right, even though that's the only way for people to survive is everything's in, you know, Everything's either in your backpack or everything's in your tent.
0: Right.
1: Um, so. what Have you noticed it like, what
0: has Corona done to the homeless? Like, what's the effect? Not, not, I don't mean the actual virus, but I mean, like, I mean, I've heard stats that people are becoming more and more homeless through this time. And then. Right. Yeah, so go ahead.
1: The population of homeless people during the pandemic has swelled considerably. Fortunately, most communities on the street are wearing masks if they can get them. So, like where I was saying, we were getting donations of masks almost every day. Um, if they can't get them, they can't get them. Um, when I left the shelter I was in, I sat outside for a while and there was a guy sitting on the street there who didn't have a mask and i had an extra one and when i gave it to him he put it on immediately was like thank you thank you thank you you know um but nobody was giving him that so and then they give people fines for you know for everything so you get a fine for being homeless in some cities you get a fine for having your tent up past a certain time in some cities you get a fine for in some cities you get a fine for not wearing a mask. Um so they just pile up fines on top of people and how are they get supposed to get out of the streets if they can't even pay their fines?
0: Exactly.
1: It's a trap regardless. Right. And in cities like Los Angeles you can get arrested for being homeless. If that you where don't pay your fines, is? you're arrested.
0: What's that? Skid Row, is that where that is?
1: Skid Row, is, Yeah, there is a Skid Row in Los Angeles. There's also a Skid Row in Ottawa, Canada. Um, there's a couple of places that have either called Skid Row or something similar to that. Um, here in Vegas is Master. Okay. That's where all the homeless people get dumped. Okay. In Los Angeles, it is, yeah, it's Hollywood Boulevard. It's Skid Row. That's 2.7 miles and there's almost 5,000 people living on the streets there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's... So uh, okay. finally, okay, so going back to where I was, of uh, the boarding house I was in right. turned out to be illegal. And I got the virus from somebody in that boarding house and got out of there because I begged my mother to I begged my mother to put me in a hotel so that I could quarantine for the two weeks. She finally agreed. Got into I got into the hotel. She paid for it. And now I owe her like a thousand bucks for that. But, um, while I was staying there, I met a couple in Vegas online who, you know, through one of these, uh, nanny sites, because I have experience his nanny and they offered me a job and i as soon as I was negative, a couple of days later, I moved out to Vegas.
0: <clears throat> Are you living with them? Yes. Yeah. So that um, yep, I'm. A- so you've been there how long now?
1: Since December twenty second. Wow. Okay. so, very,
0: so yeah. a month, a little
1: over. Right. Almost. Yeah. It's, yeah. A little over a month now. So, and it's like day and night. Um obviously lost a lot through
0: all this like do you what what keeps you going like do you do you feel like this cycle is gonna end like is this your ticket now to never be becoming homeless again?
1: I wanna say never, but I have a feeling you know I'm a hard working person, so I have a feeling I'll be staying with this family for a good many years um. I'm also going to be going back to school in the summer so that, you know, should I lose this job, I'll have a job easily after that. I'm going back to school um for con- creative writing in English so that I can get a permanent job as content writer. You know, I did that before, but it was commission only and freelance c- content writing is, you know, once the pandemic hit, there was no content writing commission. Now, when you say content writing, what
0: do you mean by it? Like, is it just they give you a topic and you have to write about it? Or, or what, what?
1: Well, it really depends. Um, what I was doing was niche work. Um, so um, I was doing travel reviews and product guide. Uh, yeah, travel reviews and product guide. Um So most people who are content writers, it's articles for it internet site or for magazines um and they they give you the basic topic and then you write what you want based on their um their guidelines so sometimes it'd be a 200 word little product review which gets you like five bucks if that um but Occasionally, I would get a commission for like a 3000 word article, and a 3000 word article gets you like 50 bucks. So, you know, and that only takes half a day for two days. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So that's pretty good money. Mm -hmm. Um, it's still not, it's not the greatest money, but, you know, once you get good, the commissions come, just roll in, and you can work on several articles every day
0: hmm.
1: um, so what
0: I mean yeah so what what keeps you going after all of this like what what is it that keeps you just wanting to get up in the morning
1: I've become a disability and the homeless advocate and being able to help others is really what keeps me going um, right now because I've gotten the virus again I'm in quarantine But as soon as I test negative, I'm back on the streets helping people. Um, There's a couple organizations here that I'm going to be shadowing as soon as I'm negative um, to get to know the homeless population here in Vegas. I'm also working on a nonprofit organization um, called Bro, Buddhist Reaching Out. Um, I'm a Soto Zen Buddhist. So that also helps me keep going um the mindfulness and meditation that i do um but going out there and helping others is really the only thing that keeps me going and you know having a job helps but being able to help others is really the only thing that helps and people don't realize how much volunteering helps you Right, but they've absolutely. done studies that you know, the studies show that volunteering doesn't just help others. You get a huge emotional boost just from helping others.
0: Yeah, I could be wrong. Um, are you are you partially living for your ex husband or you know your deceased husband? Like, are you? Is there a certain motivation to help other people and to just push further to just just in his name alone?
1: Definitely. Um, And I, you know, looking at that, you know, looking at the situation he went through and that I went through. I mean, it was terrible. And just because we were disabled and homeless, everything went wrong. Mm -hmm. I have a federal court case against the city of Chicago right now. Um, You know, we're waiting for it to go to trial. Um and that court case is going to be just, you know, you've got to change the policies in the shelters. Right.
0: And you never know. Um, like that could be a trickle-down effect. It, might, it could help. I mean, you never know. Exactly. It could, it could help other cities, other towns, any place, other countries.
1: Exactly. Um And, you know, that's why I'm pushing for this court case to go forward. There's two other individuals in the court case, And the sad thing is, one of them uses a walker. The other one, she was denied shelter because she uses a support cane. Mm. Just because she uses a support cane, she's elderly. She uses a support cane. She was denied shelter. So, you know, it's going to make a big difference for the disabled community among the homeless community. And, you know, disability rights in
0: general. Um, yeah. Um, but the best of luck on that. Um, Thank you. It, so. Yeah, it's it's something. One of the reasons why I wanted to go on this get on this topic is because the reality is like we don't ever stick together. And I, I've I've been saying this about the disabled community, but in general, like there's no reason why the disabled community and the homeless community and, and the gay community and and whatever, like there's so many people that are discriminated against and treated different for God knows what reasons. And, you know, just alone, the disabled community has a billion 1.6 billion. So, and again, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of us that are, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, mentally unable to, to fight and and stuff like that. So whatever, we fight for them. Um, but there's a lot of us who can and, and it, it, there needs to be more people like you me, and, and others that are actually just constantly trying to make the change because it's not going to change from the people high up because they want everything to stay the same um, or for the most part. And a lot of it has to do with just financial. Uh, but people who are constantly trying to make a difference and people who are the people who are suffering, people who have to battle every day. Uh, right. So it's like things like what part you, of the, Point.
1: Part of the problem that I see is if you have one disability, there are communities for you. If you're blind, there's a blindness community. If you're deaf, there's a deaf community. If you're in a wheelchair, there are many groups for people in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. But once you have multiple disabilities or you have multiple problems, there's nobody to turn to. You know, if you're blind and in a wheelchair, there's very few people that are in your situation to turn to. If you are homeless and have a drug addiction, there's not many people that are going to look at you and go, "Oh, we can take care of that." As soon as you have multiple problems, people will just ignore you. Mm-hmm. Um. So you know you're you're in a wheelchair and you're homeless. People just kind of glance over you and look the you know look the other way and never look back.
0: is there is there something to the effect of I've heard this once that homeless people are actually the most free people in some ways like they don't they don't owe anyone anything they you don't know? they don't have i mean they have responsibilities but
1: you know I think that might have at one point been the case but these days with all the restrictions on the homeless and the police harassing everybody and being told you can only have your tents out d- during the hours of, I believe, in California, it's 9 to 9 or 9 to 8. Um, so you can't even set up your tent till 9 p.m. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're putting restrictions on people who just want to help the homeless. Um, I have a friend who's an advocate for the homeless, and she was fined the other day 200 bucks for passing clothes out to the homeless. Um, so, there's no freedom in homelessness anymore. Um, even the people who want to be on the streets, there are people who want to be on the streets and in the woods and stuff. The harassment makes them change their mind pretty quickly.
0: Right. right. Because I'm sure there are, because there's people that are in jail that just want to be in jail because that's all they know or it's just where they feel comfortable. So I'm sure exactly. there's the same thing with homeless. Like that's either all they know or it's where they feel at home, weirdly enough. Um, right. But I'm sure the majority don't um, feel that
1: way. I have a friend in Florida who's an advocate for the homeless. Um, who He's been a homeless so long, he wouldn't know what to do with himself if he weren't. And he doesn't know what would happen to the community that he takes care of if he were not on the, you know, in the woods. Um, there's a community in the woods in Florida that he's one of the only ones working. He works every day. And he he shares what he has with everybody else. And, you know, if somebody comes to him and asks, what do I do? He always has the answer. If I don't know what to do about the uh, situation that I come across, I turn to him and go, "What should they do?" And he knows how to survive on the, you know, in the woods, on the street. And he'll tell me, "Yo, know, oh, they don't have a bed, and they're in the woods. Here's how to make a hammock out of vines, or you know, this is how you can make a temporary shelter, in the, you know, on, on the sidewalk or in the woods. This is how you make a treehouse that nobody can see." Mm-hmm. So he knows what to do because he's been on the streets for so long. That's the way he's lived, and at this point, he lives on the streets because he wants to. Um,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, I think I'm out of questions. (laughs) Um, that's okay. No, no, yeah. I mean, this was great, honestly. (laughs) Um, I seriously, if you ever need someone to talk to or need help with whatever, um, please reach out. You can text, call me anytime. Uh. Uh, I'll put this episode out in a few weeks. I'll let you know ahead of time and all. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, is there any, anything else you want to just inform people about being homeless or disabled, anything?
1: Mm. i say, you know, when you're on the streets and you see a homeless person, don't look the other way. But don't just give them food. Ask them, what do you need? They may have plenty of food, but they need clothes, or they need a bottle of water, or they need their medicine. Mm -hmm. So many people I've reached out to, they don't ask for food because there are so many people donating food to individuals on the street, but they can't get socks, or they can't get a, a clean pair of underwear, or they can't get soap. And they, you know, in order to get a job, that's the kind of thing that you need. Yeah. So it, if you're walking down the street and see a homeless person, ask them what they need before you just hand something over. Right.
0: And also beyond just that, just appreciate everything that you have, because every, definitely there's people that just the the slightest thing, like you said, soap, is is everything so, to them.
1: Uh, now, I when I was on the street a pack of baby wipes made me giddy with delight because it meant that I could wash myself every day.
0: Right. I'm sure sleeping on that dirty mattress wasn't ideal, but it was a mattress.
1: Right. It was a mattress. It was better than sleeping on the sidewalk or, you know, in the dirt in the back alley.
0: Um, honestly, thank you for doing it. Seriously. Uh,
1: Not a problem.
0: I know we just met the other day,
1: but appreciate it. If it helped, one person it's worth
0: it yeah and, and it's even just like i uh, was talking to a friend of mine and and he was kind of sketchy about doing it because he's you know he's still trying to come to terms with his disability and stuff and mm-hmm. um and i told him because you know he's dealing with addiction issues uh, and eye condition and you know him being gay and you know right. i told him like there's somebody who may hear your story and may not care at all about the disability part may not care at all about um, your addiction problem. They may just hear the fact that you've been discriminated against for being gay and they'll just take that and go, wow, that helped me. So even right. with, with you, it's like they may not even, the homeless thing may not even resonate with them, but they hear the, the blind stuff or, or, or anything, just your struggle in general. Maybe you just being a woman. Right. Um, right, And that may help them. And that's, that's all that matters. Um, but yeah, again, like I said, thank you for doing this. And uh, we will continue to talk outside the podcast. I'll let you know uh, when it comes out, and yeah, like I said, thank you again.
1: Thank you uh, for letting me tell my story and the story of many individuals on the street, because unfortunately, that story doesn't get told a lot. It's getting better, where you know people like invisible people and a couple of other groups out there are starting to tell stories, and those are you know those individuals are starting to get of you especially on like youtube and tiktok um but the story you know the story of homelessness and how easy it is to become homeless isn't out there as much as it should be
0: yeah um yeah maybe down the line i'm very sure that you're gonna do something with yourself so down the line maybe we can do an update episode and just see how you're doing and what you're doing with your life
1: that'd be wonderful all right
0: um uh, like i said thank you again and uh, i'll talk to you in a little bit
1: all right thank you talk to you later yep bye bye
0: cool uh yeah guys um i don't even know how to feel <laughs> i don't even mean to laugh because that was a very very dark emotional just roller coaster great great you know very inspiring i don't, i don't I'm gonna go home. Oh, I'm, I am home. What am I talking about? I'm gonna hug my bed. Uh, and if you think I'm kidding, you don't know me very well. Uh, yeah, guys, thank you again for listening, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. I, I, I don't. I'm, I'm very happy I went here, and I I didn't know how this would go. Not that I had any preconceived notions that it was gonna be bad. I just I didn't know her at all. I had her uh, maybe like a half hour conversation with her, and she seemed cool. But I didn't know much about her and I uh, bits and pieces of her life that she told me. But man, uh, way better than I expected. <sighs> All right, guys. I'll see you guys on the next one. Um, I'm going to just try to appreciate my carpet and everything. I might just go around kissing everything around my apartment, beyond just Bullet, who was around here bouncing around. Uh, silly boys. He was trying to jump on the board at one point, and I had to keep stiff arming him because. <laughs> He jumped on the board his first his paw would have first touched one of the buttons and, you know that made made noises and god forbid if that would have went off while she was talking about being homeless i would have been mortified <laughs> so um yeah so please please support her uh i will get in touch with her to see if she has any um things she wants to promote and, and all that so love you guys and uh, i'll see you guys on the next one Hootie who out bye guys